Vasquez Boyd, and you're listening to 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. Happy Wednesday, everyone. It's Maria Vasquez Boyd on 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. This is Art Speak Radio. We're happy to be on air with you and uh, you listening there at home. Happy 2024. Got a great group of folks on today. We have Mary Settle Pruitt, Stephen Wallace Pruitt, and Cesar Velez. So stick around. We'll be right back. So this is the first show of 2024. So happy to be with you. Thanks for listening to us, Teresa and Tony, Rose, Bruce, everybody that that tunes in weekly. Thank you so much for joining us or listening to us online at kkfi.org. You know, in a couple of weeks, not next week, but the next week, uh, January 24th, we'll be airing from 9 to 10 a.m. So set your alarm clock or your, uh, what is it, the, uh, yeah. Siri. Uh, yeah, so we're going to make that move in a couple of weeks. But today, we've got a terrific show. We've got um, a fine, fine, wonderful painter, Cesar Velez, uh, who is a Mexican multidisciplinary artist based here in Kansas City, Missouri. His art is an emotional exploration of the personal experiences and cultural landscapes that have shaped the world around him. We're so happy to have you. And, and you know, it was great to hear you speak at the Nelson because he was also a part of, uh, included in a couple of docu- documentaries uh, that were about uh, Latinos. We are Latinos, and you spoke about uh, being in that show. So welcome my friend, first time on Thank the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for you having bet. me. Just get a little bit closer. Of course. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. yeah. So I want to talk a bit about sort of your backstory, how you became a painter, where you're going, where you're at now, and everything in between. All right. I'm going to do my best to yeah, wind yeah. that down then. Um, <laughs> uh, I am 31 years old. I moved to the Kansas City area a few years ago, um, but I grew up in southwest Kansas originally from Mexico. Uh, I moved to the United States when I was three with my family. What part in Mexico? Uh, Guerrero, Mexico, Ah, which is southwest Mexico. Um, And we moved here at an early, early age, and we settled, lived in parts of Texas, and then we ended up settling in southwest Kansas and grew up there um, most of my childhood, honestly, until I was around 19 or 20 years old. Uh, But in terms of artistically, I've always love drawing. I've always loved exploring the creative side of me, but um, 
when I was younger, uh, my situation growing up was different than most other individuals around me. I grew up undocumented in the United States, so once I understood those realities, mm. the older I got, I kind of s- stopped really creating as much as I did when I was younger, and I more so did activities that were going to allow me to fit in with my peers. So I started playing sports. I more so went towards that realm, and I really didn't pick up a pencil or start drawing again until my late teens, um, around the age of 20 or so, uh, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals was passed, which is DACA, which is essentially a program that allowed undocumented youth to get things like a work permit and social security number and have some basic rights. Uh, So things that I didn't have when I was younger. Um, Once I got those, it almost opened my world up again creatively. It felt like for once I didn't have the weight of the world on my shoulders. And I don't know if that opened up something in me that allowed me to create again, but I picked up a pencil. I started sketching again uh, very consistently um, for those first couple of years in my early 20s. And once I found the art, because I had moved to a larger city at that point, and once I kind of found that that itch to to want to create again, it was just spiraled from there, and I kind of got addicted to the to getting better and just to the process in general. Um, so for a while there, I was just doing colored pencil, graphite pencils, doing portraits, doing sketches, um, just things of individuals that I liked or looked up to, admired, celebrities, you know, athletes. So. I was doing that for a while, for a few years, and I got to a point in my drawing where I felt like I was pretty masterful at it to where I could do most whatever I wanted, and it was almost becoming a little bit boring, and uh, it was almost in my mid-20s at that point, and I was a little bit frustrated that I didn't have any artwork that felt like it was a representation of my upbringing and of my reality uh, as an immigrant. And just just personally in general, the things that I was going through, whether it was being in love, being in a relationship, I wanted to express those things creatively as opposed to just work, working on portrait sketches. So I had showed my work around town in Wichita for a few years, um, and I just got to a point where I didn't want to show any artwork for a while until I had just a body of work that I was felt that I was proud of. Um, so that's when I started painting, actually, which would have been 2017. Um, I had been intimidated intimidated by painting for a little while up to that point because I don't know, something about painting always just felt scary or like it was very challenging. So once I got tired of drawing and I picked up a paintbrush, it was really like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is the medium felt so freeing to me because it was it did have its moments of being challenging at the beginning where uh, things like mixing colors, like re- being able to mix that same color over and over again, things like that were challenging. But once I got over those little hurdles, I felt that I could pretty much process any idea or create any idea I had and visually represent that through a painting. And around that time, I had been um, going through uh, love and heartbreak. So that's what I knew to paint about at the time. And that's why you see all the hearts in my work. So. You know, I, I find that really fascinating in, in that, you know, this is something that this talent feels as though it's very innate. So it, it was a desire and the, the opportunity to create and express yourself, but it's also very um, intuitive in, in that you didn't speak of, of attending a, a 
art institution or, or university and, and that sort of thing. So was it just a matter of looking at art or looking at the world around you that, that helped you understand color and form and composition? I would say, um, yeah, I, there, I've never, I'm self-taught, so I've never yeah. had any schooling for any painting or drawing or anything. But since I was little, I've always, I don't know, I've always had a talent for being able to recreate drawings or re recreate an image that I see. Mm. Um, but once I actually work within a medium, I'm very hands-on. So if I can just get my hands on something and <laughs> figure it out that yeah. way, I'm yeah. much better about learning that way than I am if I'm standing in front of someone getting instructions. Um, so if I, it is kind of an eight, I, I would say, um, but a lot of it has also been, I don't know if it's been just subconsciously instilled in me through just growing up and it's consuming media, just consuming like, yeah. I've always loved movies, I've always loved music. Um, I can remember like very early moments in my childhood that I thought were like crucial to, I don't know if it was having an eye for art, but just knowing that I loved art. Like the first time I saw the Iron Giant, that movie, yeah. in like the <laughs> late 90s, I was yeah. like, oh my goodness, how did they create this image? Yeah. And it's moving and talking. And I've always loved the idea of being able to visually represent ideas. Um, and I'm better at talking about my artwork now, but before I was very good at openly talking. I, I was better, better at representing visually, sure. so that's, I guess, how. Yeah, and I think a lot of artists can uh, relate to that. You know, and, and I want to get back to the the painting. So mm -hmm. I know that currently you, you work in oils, which mm -hmm. I think is a whole other kind of um, media in yeah, itself. for sure. Because there's, well, there, it's so diverse. Um, but were there other medias that you started off first yeah, uh, working I, with? I started working with graphite pencil and, mm, okay. and colored pencil first for yeah. three or four years. And I think that kind of prepared me for painting because I was doing a lot of hyperrealism and realism at, at that time with the pencils. So I kind of got a steady hand and I knew how to control my hand when it came to holding a brush a little easier than I would have if I had never drawn, I guess. And I tried acrylic paint for like, about a month. I did one acrylic painting and then I was like, that's probably the last acrylic painting I'll do just because <laughs> it was, was kind of difficult just because the drawing time was so fast that it was a little unforgiving and trying to remix colors. And uh, I'm the kind of person that likes to live with my artwork. And I think that's why oil painting is mm. perfect for me mm -hmm. because some of my paintings will take 10 to 12 months. Some of them have taken over a year before. And I, I find that I don't know, seeing that same artwork every day and really living with it, it, I don't know, makes it almost feels a little more personal to me when I'm actually creating it. And it's almost like it's its own little journey and the process doesn't seem as, because when you think, oh, I'm gonna be working on this painting for a, a year, it seems very daunting. But when you're actually living in it and working on it every day, it's not, you're not thinking about, when am I gonna get this done? It's more so, I'm, I'm getting this done and it's I'm working on this every day and I don't ever, I don't go into a painting knowing when it's going to be finished. It's more so the painting tells me or like it's a right, feeling right. more than anything. And, oh, I don't feel like I need to add anything more to this. So oil painting has been amazing for that because it's a, it's a slower medium and the drawing times are definitely slower, but it really caters to the way that I work. So that's that's why I love it. There's such a, a richness of color with oil, for sure, too. For sure. I mean, you know, there's nothing else like it. Yeah. You know, and, and I want to... Uh, say right now if you would share your social media yeah. uh, platforms because people 
talking or talking uh, listening to you talk yeah. would maybe find some interesting uh, details and see in your work and, sure. and kind of follow along so. yeah so uh, my Instagram is art by C's a R T B Y C S and all of my work and my portfolio can be found on my website and that's www.cesarvelezart.com. That's C-E-S-A-R-V-E-L-E-Z-A-R-T.com. Um, and yeah, my entire, most of my body of work is on that website. I try to keep it updated pretty regularly. But yeah, like you said, the vibrancy of color and painting. I think that that's one reason that I, why I'm so drawn to painting is because just how much you can make it pop. Um, yeah, just standing yeah. in front of one piece of work can really transform you. Um, like even like the recent Nelson show, like some of the works that are in that Latino show currently, mm -hmm. like standing in front of them, it really takes you to a different place. So I think color for that's very important to my work. <laughs> I, the yeah. use of color is very important. I'm very intentional with the colors that I do use uh, in my work. That's one thing that, that stands out for me when I look at your work mm -hmm. is how you activate mm -hmm. that energy, that color, how it just vibrates and it it feels dimensional. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, and I find that really exciting in, in your work. So... I, I want to talk about the the theme of your work. Um, I know you uh, work through identity and displacement mm -hmm. and belonging, um, and uh, you know what are some other things that sort of that we'll find in your work. At the moment, so for the last few years, uh, if you if you're listening and you've seen my work, you've probably seen a lot of uh, pieces that involve a heart, a human heart. Um, I was working on a series titled "The Study of Love." It's a seven painting series uh, based around the life cycle of a relationship, uh, the good and the bad and everything in between. And I was working on that for a long time. And a few years ago, um, once I was fully past the, I guess, the understanding I needed to get from that series that I was working on, I got everything I needed out of that. I wanted to talk about my immigrant experience and the work that you see now a lot of it is just based off of photos of my upbringing in the mid to late 90s. And they're just photos of my family. Um, and with these pieces, I've decided to accompany written pieces to it. So each of them has their own little in-depth little uh, tidbit that you can read that kind of gives insight into the actual painting. Because my actual immigrant experience, it's, it's so complicated and there's so many things that go into it that it's hard to show that in one painting. Um, so I thought with these pieces, if I'm going to be painting about my family and about my experience, I want to give some context to that. And I want to educate the viewer a little bit as to my experience. So I've decided to do these little writings next to the paintings. And the work you'll see going forward um, with my paintings specifically will be very much about my family, about my upbringing, because that's the story I want to tell at the moment. Um, and for the foreseeable future. So. Yeah, I, I love that. And, and I want to say that uh, Movement Through Memory was your solo show mm -hmm. at Habitat Habitat Com uh, Contemporary, Kansas City, Missouri, uh, uh, this past fall. Lost and Fan uh, Masa, which was a group show mm -hmm. in Kansas City, Kansas at the Community College. Uh, again, that was in the fall. And then you were included in the Maya exhibition group show at Union Station. So mm -hmm. you've, you've been really busy. <laughs> I, I have, yes. Yeah. 2023 yeah. was the busiest year yeah. of my life for sure. And I, I was kind of prepared for it a little bit. 2022, I knew 
mm. that I had the solo show coming mm. the next year, but I didn't know about the Union Station show until the beginning of 2023. Yeah. So yeah. I was blessed to have that opportunity. And that was really great because it was artwork alongside like thousand year old artifacts. So that yeah. was amazing. Yeah. I'm a big history buff. So anything related to my own personal history, my own personal culture is amazing. And yeah. that's the first time I'd really seen a lot of those artifacts displayed in person. So to have like a painting just a few feet away from something that's thousands of years old was crazy. But no, it was it was incredible. Yeah, you know, I, I was fortunate to spend a three hour tour with yeah. with the woman oh God, I can't, Sonia, uh-huh. I believe. Uh, and she was telling us about that huge ceramic piece yeah. that they uncovered that that figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On some farmer's land. It was like, oh, my Lord. No, for sure. You know, it was an incredible show. Yeah, and no, very it, well attended, and and I love the group show at the end because yeah. you know, it it's just it just signifies again the talent and the rich history and culture that mm-hmm. the Latinos have, and not just ancient but you know contemporary. Uh, exactly. Yeah, so there that were was a nice incredible artists yeah. in that show too from Kansas City. There were, I mean, to be included amongst them was awesome just because just the depth of talent, like so many different, there were sculptors in there, there was ceramic in there, there was so yeah. many different types of work yeah. in there too that it was a great little little show to put on. It, it really was, and, and again, I think it just showed, you know, the, the wealth of talent that we have, because it was a local yeah, show. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, we're gonna stop real quick and take a break. I've got to air some underwriting, but we're gonna be right back with Artspeak Radio after this. Support for KKFI comes from the Johnson County Museum, featuring special exhibit, trains, transportation, and the transformation of Johnson County. Now through January 13th, this exhibit showcases the impact of railroads on the county's landscape, people, and economy. Through interactive displays, artifacts, and visuals, visitors are transported back in time to witness the changes that rail transportation brought to Johnson County. For more information, visit jocomuseum.org. Hello, and Happy New Year. My name is Nico Pisa, host of Radio Nico Pisa, right here on 90.1 FM KKFI. Starting Wednesday, January 24th, I'll be flying into my new time slot. Please join me from noon to 2 p.m. every Wednesday, following Wednesday Midday Medley with Mark Manning. Feel the music, share the love. The new time slot for Radio Nico Pisa starting January 24th at 12 p.m. We're back. This is Art Speak Radio. I'm Maria Vasquez Boyd on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. We're talking to our wonderfully talented, scary talented, <laughs> Cesar Velez, and he's here talking about all his wonderful work, his insights, inspiration, and everything else in between. What is some of the artists that you look up to Cesar historically yeah um, if I'm talking painting it's someone probably like Diego Rivera um, Caravaggio uh, mm-hmm. but honestly mm-hmm. I, I love a lot of, a lot of my inspiration comes from music and film so people oh. like Stanley Kubrick I'm a huge yeah. huge fan <laughs> of Kubrick um, yeah people like uh, man that's tough Musicians. I'm a big music fan, so well, Prince. Y- <laughs> you yourself yeah. are a musician. I do. I play a little bit of guitar. Uh-huh. I'm working on recording some music for some paintings mm-hmm. I actually have this wow. coming year. So I I take it from everywhere, honestly. There's 
so many different fields, creative fields that I like to dabble in. But just yeah. in terms of inspiration, I it, it comes from life and just from ingesting. Yeah. Things. Well, and do you feel that that uh, your music is informed by your painting, which is informed by what you see, which is inspired by? I mean, does it all sort of come together and and overlap? Yeah, I think so. It's it's all just a feeling, really. Yeah. If I can really what I'm trying to do with my art is just recreate a feeling a lot of times. Yeah. So if I can if I can stare at something or if I can create something <laughs> that makes me feel the way that I'm feeling inside, then yeah. I know I did the right thing. And, yeah. and it's tough sometimes because you don't there's not a science really behind it a lot of the times. It's just it you're hoping that it turns out how you right. want it to turn out, but right. when it does, then it's it's like a hit a home run. So. And it's in it it all is a matter of trust and yeah. and really sort of courage yeah. too, you know, brave to you know mix this with that and it doesn't work. So right. you know, um, but but I love that yeah. that you know you trust that intuition. You you kind of there's something kind of knowing maybe a yeah. third eye that that gives you <laughs> that information. I'm not sure. Um, you know, I I do want to shift gears and talk about the screening that uh, was held recently, uh, last month, at the Nelson Atkins Museum, We Are Lat Latinos Too. Uh, there was actually a first part that mm -hmm. rolled around, I think, uh, uh, about the fall or so, mm -hmm. maybe spring. Um, and it was about Latinos here in the Midwest, mm -hmm. which a lot of people, <laughs> I don't know why, they're sort of surprised, oh, there's Latinos in the yeah. Midwest. Well, uh, yeah. yeah, we're everywhere. But but it focused on a few of the community, um, I think, leaders, mm -hmm. uh, Jenny Mendez and, and a number of other people, and kind of gave their perspective. And then uh, the director uh, came back. Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, came back with We Are Latinos Too, and you were featured in, in part of that with mm -hmm. some others. Let's talk about how you felt about it and, and what you wanted to bring to people's attention, you make them aware of who who is Caesar. For sure, yeah, I was, so Victor Antianca, he directed We Are Latinos 1 and 2 for PBS, and I met Victor in late 2022. Um, I was just meeting with a few other Latino artists in Kansas City at that time, just because I wanted to meet other people like me. Sure. Um, so I met him in that first meeting, and um, he kind of learned a little bit about my backstory, about my growing up as a DACA recipient, and we kept in conversation and we started having these monthly meetings um, as groups and through that, these conversations, um, I got really familiar with Isaac and Rodrigo Tapia as well, who were also DACA recipients, yeah. the most incredible muralists in the city, like they have incredible artwork, big, big fans of them. Um, and Victor approached me around that time and said that he was working on a documentary for PBS, because uh, I'd seen the first one. Um, he he. He'd sent me the information about the first one. I watched it, and it was really, really good. And I, around that time, hadn't openly s talked about my undocumented status. Um, and he approached me and asked me if it'd be something I'd be interested in doing in the future. And I said, yeah, I think so, man. I mean, after I watched his first video, I felt like I could trust that the direction he would take that in. Because um, when you're speaking about this stuff, it's there's a lot of boundaries. There's a lot that yeah. you want to leave yeah. out. Um, yeah. And just historically, I've never been one that was open about speaking about these experiences. Um, so to put it on film was a little daunting. Uh, but I just the more I got to know him, the more we became friends and more familiar I came with his own work and his process. And when he visited, because he got the footage in July, 
and he interviewed me, it really felt just like a conversation with a friend. So he would ask me these questions about my upbringing and uh, how my undocumented status had affected me. And a lot of times if I was having those conversations, it would be very guarded and I would give very short answers probably. But with him, it just felt like a conversation with a friend. So there was no feelings like I couldn't say anything and it was very easy to speak to him. Um, So we got the footage in July and yeah, to see it come together and it released, it actually released on my birthday, which is crazy. Um, <laughs> so it was on, it released October 12th on, on PBS. And there was a screening at Screenland Armor uh, yeah. a couple of days before that. And then they screened it at the Nelson Atkins in December, which is one of the craziest things ever. Cause the Nelson has been like a sanctuary for me. I, ever since I moved to Casey, even before I've always loved going to the Nelson. Like that's some of my favorite paintings in the world are there. And to, be at that screening in December and have my mom next to me and just to see that play it was honestly I not enough thank yous that I could give to Victor and to PBS and just to anyone wow that that's that's very powerful I I love hearing that and you know I I think with Victor he really uh he really took uh, great care in mm-hmm. developing trust between each of the participants in his documentaries. For sure. I mean, from the first one to the second one. And the second one, especially because there were so many DACA uh, folks right. involved in right. that. You know, of course, I know Kiki Serna uh, was in mm-hmm. the first one. But, yep, uh, as well. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I understand, and I could be wrong, I believe that he was maybe considering a third installment of of this and uh i'm thinking that i was told that maybe music from a musical perspective that would be awesome i know he does make music as himself and he he uh is a big fan of music so i I know that he wants to work on a third installment and i'm sure if they've given them the blessing that he's going to do amazing with it because he's just gets better and better and just to see his process as well was really cool because it takes it's a gift to be able to put people in a comfort zone that allows yeah. allows them to open up to you and i think he definitely has that so i'm incredibly excited to see what victor does well and so. i'd like to hear your soundtrack for that yeah yeah <laughs> that, for would, sure. that would be really lovely for sure. going forward what are you working on for 2024 do you can you share with us some yeah, of yeah 2024 uh 2023 was so focused on exhibits and getting yeah. ready for exhibits that I didn't create as much work as I wanted to, um, but 2024, I'm very much going to do a lot more painting. I have a short film that I want to shoot in mind, um, and I'm also recording music for that. So that's what I plan to do in 2024. We'll see where that goes. Oh, I love that. I love that. But but while you're doing that, you're Mm -hmm. not putting away your paint, right? Oh, absolutely not. No, I have to. I have to paint. No, I have to paint. It's... It's, I took, honestly, I took about a month. we would be sad. No, no, I took about a month long break (laughs) and I was like, why do I feel so weird? Mm -hmm. And then I started painting Mm -hmm. again the other day. I'm like, oh, I haven't been painting. (laughs) So, so filmmaking and and music, Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's kind of the the plan. But also, do you want to try other forms of art, sculpture or animation? In the future, for sure. (laughs) Um, the, the short film that I'm doing now is kind of going to gonna be a culmination of just one that entire heart series I've been working on oh. for a few years. So it's really yeah. going to get that. Um, those tie into one another, the short mm. film and those paintings. So all of it's still going to be informed by the paintings because I think 
at the end of the day, at the moment, my strongest form of uh, my, my strongest medium is paint and my best ability to get out these ideas I can do through paint. Mm -hmm. But yeah, going forward, I want to transition into other forms, things like film, things like music, because there's mm -hmm. different ways you can touch people. And I mean, music yeah. and film are huge with that. So yeah, um, and performance. So what uh, what instruments do you work with? I work play? with guitar. I do a little bit of keyboard as well, um, but mostly guitar at the moment. Uh -huh. It's my favorite. So. Uh -huh. What is your genre? Uh, if I had a genre to bottle it down to the the stuff I'm doing now is very instrumental based it's mm -hmm. kind of not I wouldn't say lo-fi but it's very low soft guitar at mm. least things like that mm -hmm. um but I mean in terms of what I love like I mean I'm I'm a huge fan of basically every kind of music hip-hop R&B yeah. like rock anything like that yeah but the stuff that I make I'd say it's a little more chill a little more mellow and it more so um aids the pa aids my paintings and it mm -hmm. goes along with my paintings I would describe it that way Hmm, I, I love that. You should uh, think about coming back on air with me with your guitar or <laughs> keyboard or something. Don't peer pressure me. <laughs> uh, strong arm, you kid. <laughs> no, you know, I, I think it's interesting that I find a lot of artists are creative in so many venues in terms of, you know, their art, mm -hmm. painters and musicians and poets and writers. Do you also write poetry or I short stories? I or? do write now uh, just because the, the family paintings I do... I want, like I said, I want to give context to yeah. them. So it's required yeah. me writing and stepping. When I was younger, I really practiced writing a lot more than I do now. Mm -hmm. Currently, it, it's it's like a muscle that I don't use as often. So every time I need to sit down yeah. and write something, it's kind of difficult yeah. just because with painting, I can sit down and paint for 15 mm -hmm. hours straight and not blink. But with mm -hmm. writing, I can sit there for three hours and have maybe two sentences. And it's, it's <laughs> difficult. So it's it's a different muscle of the sure. brain that I'm trying to work. But yeah, sure. I, I like writing because it is challenging, but there's so much you can do with it as well. So Absolutely. And again, if you would share your social media platforms with, with our listeners, because I think after hearing you talk, or even when they uh, download the po podcast, mm -hmm. they will want to be able to take a look at your work um, and I know you were had some work in Casey's studio, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had the, some photographs. The, the show, uh, the movement through memory at Habitat Contemporary. Uh, it got a review in Casey's studio uh, along with Harold Smith's show. And I know Robert Gann, the mm -hmm. owner of Habitat Contemporary, was just they did a profile on him. Yeah. There's a really good photo of the paintings and the setup. It's really beautiful. Well. Yeah, I they think, took a great shot. I think shot. Jim Barkas did that because he, he does a lot of the, the work for them, and yeah. he just knows how to. No, it was a yeah. great shot. I'm like, man, that's the best photo anyone took of the work. And I didn't even take a photo <laughs> And he's of not day, even so. in the crack. <laughs> yeah. No, but, yeah, the, the social media is, uh, again, Instagram is art by C's, A-R-T-B-Y-C-S. And then my website is Cesar Velez Art. Dot com Caesar C E S A R V E L E Z art dot com. So you'll work on your your film, your music. Will we see any uh, pop up shows? Yeah, I think we're gonna. I think I'm gonna be a part of some group shows, uh, some group uh, painting shows with okay. uh, a group called Masa. Uh, which yeah, is yeah. A lot of my amazing, talented friends here in Kansas City, Latino artists. We've been meeting for months and having shows. We had a couple shows last year as well. Um, but we're working on getting some ideas down for some shows this year, and that'll be later in the year. So You know what, and I will have to invite the, the group back because yeah. I know that I've had uh, a member or two on mm -hmm. from time to time, and I just love that this new, the younger generation mm -hmm. of Latino artists mm -hmm. are really sort of making waves 
in this creative community. I mean, you know, it wasn't that way uh, at one time. Yeah. So it's really nice to, to really kind of have that. Uh, yeah, no, there's so many incredible yeah. artists in the group, yeah. too. And You're just right. having a place where you can have conversations and, and feel seen is always important. So um, And support for one another, because I mm -hmm. think as artists, we often work alone. Yep. And so we find that, you know, uh, we don't get a lot of feedback or a critique and that sort right. of thing. So it's really good, you know, to have that that body of, of you know, support, you know, in the Agreed. community. Agreed wholeheartedly. Yeah. Well, promise to come back, yes? I definitely will. Thank you so much for having me. Very good. You know, I just feel like I could unplug and leave and you would just carry <laughs> no. on. And, no, thank you, you know. Maria. This is awesome. I'm <laughs> grateful for what you do and thanks for doing this for all the artists. Well, well thank so. you, my friend. You'll be back, I know. Uh, we're going to take a real quick break and uh, then we'll be back with Artspeak Radio. Hi, I'm Russ Simmons. And I'm Susan Sanders. And this is Take Two, two takes at a movie currently playing in theaters or streaming. Rebel Moon, A Child of Fire, Part 1, is now streaming on Netflix. Take a Star Wars movie, carefully extract any sense of humor and adventurous fun, and you might have something that looks a bit like this Netflix space opus. Zack Snyder's dreary and derivative sci-fi flick is sad to say, the first of a trilogy. Wow, this epic story is a blend of The Hunger Games, Lord of the Rings, and Star Wars. And a lot of it is borrowed from the classic Japanese samurai movies of Akira Kurosawa. The main character, Korra, a child of war, has a striking resemblance to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC. The basic story takes place in our galaxy, there's an ominous evil force resembling Nazi officers who rule inhabitants throughout the galaxy. There are robots, otherworldly creatures, and exotic characters. Some are rebels to this Nazi-type rule. The downside? There's so far no humor to elevate the somber tone. It's basically a good versus evil premise. Zack Snyder is best known for the movies 300 and Man of Steel. He originally pitched this premise to Lucasfilms as a Star Wars entry, and naturally they passed. He would have done to the Star Wars universe the same thing he did to the DC comic universe, making it dour and dull. Part 2 will be available in April 2024. Rebel Moon delivers the action and the visuals, but it's a bloated and humdrum drama. I'm Russ Simmons. And I'm Susan Sanders. And this is Take Two. Artspeak Radio right now on 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. We're here every Wednesday from noon to 1, only till January 24th, and then we're switching to 9 a.m. So, yeah, um, join us there on January 24th on Wednesday. And, uh, yeah. We will also have our podcast available uh, for download at kkfi.org and iTunes. If you miss any of the episodes, you can just go there and download those. Next up, we have a wonderful team of filmmakers, directors, uh, Mary Settle Pruitt and Stephen Wallace Pruitt, the primary creative team behind uh Never Too Late Productions. Now, it's the husband and wife duo of Stephen Wallace Pruitt and Mary Settle Pruitt, and for this can I say, 60-something couple, uh, filmmaking isn't a job. It's a passion. I love that. Welcome, my friends. Thanks so much for having us. This Thank is great. You. It's you good to be bet. here. It's been a while, 
But but I love when you contact me. You go, hey Maria, we got in a, we got another film coming another out. Another film. That's yeah, right. I I loved having you on. I want to say that um, I'm going to go through your list of of movies if I could. Uh, the most recent we're going to talk about that State of Grace that just recently came out actually, and it premiered at the Dance with Films Festival and uh, Grumman's Chinese Theater, right That's in correct. Hollywood. Yeah. Um, we have Terminal in 2018, The Land in 2019, uh, Modern Heart Works in Progress 2009, and The Tree 2017. And I think I may have met you um, during the filming of The Tree. I think that's possible, but yeah. obviously I can't remember. Yeah. I'm, you know, being yeah. that 60-something, I uh, don't remember as well <laughs> I as I hear used to. You. So you've been making truly independent Hollywood quality feature films at both entertain and inspire and working together um, they write produce cast design direct photograph edit color and sound design every frame of every film that's a lot of work I mean yeah like like you don't know this already but I mean it is a lot of work um, you know even just a, a small uh, you know film uh, just a small piece of a film there's so much that goes uh, into that. Let's talk about the most recent movie, State of Grace. Uh, I want to hear how that came about. Mary, take it away. Uh, well, State of Grace uh, deals with the uh, fentanyl and the opioid overdose epidemic that is um, running rampant across our nation and in particular in the Kansas City, Missouri area. And we really wanted to do something that would uh, help keep it in the fore so that people could understand that interdiction alone is not going to solve this problem. This is really about community coming together, individuals reaching out to other people to see them in their moments when they are perhaps at the darkest and walking alongside them through whatever crisis, whether it be fentanyl addiction, opioid addiction, or just life in general. Well, you know, it's, it's, a really powerful movie, I can say, and I want to find out uh, about sort of the finding the cast for this because I think you have to have a, you have to create a, a cast that has the empathy and has the the willingness and and the rawness to to really accept these roles that are not always easy to to act right. No, there's no question. Yeah, we uh, um, obviously based here in Kansas City and with a limited budget, we try to use as many local mm -hmm. actors as we can. And, and certainly here in Kansas City, we have a, a really good staple of, uh, of artists that are available to, to do our uh, acting. But um, for this particular film, uh, we really needed somebody extraordinary to play the role of Aaron, the, uh, our fentanyl addict. And uh, through a variety of circumstances, we ended up uh, uh, meeting uh, a young woman named Sarah Drescher, uh, who is actually out in Hollywood. And uh, she has been acting out there, mostly in uh, shorts at the moment. She's actually been in a couple of features, but she never starred. And when we uh, um, we were so impressed with a... Uh, you know, a reel that she sent to us. We said, well, we need to bring her out and uh, do a screen test. And that turned out to be a terrible waste of time because we had her for a whole weekend and I knew within five seconds of her first take wow. that she was going to be the person we cast for the role. She just flat blew this film away. 
and everyone that sees the film is just so impressed with her. Uh, our second lead actor um, is a woman named uh, Charla Bokikio. Uh, she's located in Salt Lake City, and uh, we found her um, through uh, really extraordinary circumstances because there is a uh, scene in the film, a couple scenes in the film that take place at a drug counselor. Excuse me. <coughs> and uh, we wanted to put pictures on the wall of people who had um, you know, supposedly died of op opioid overdoses, but I thought, well, you know, let's just be real. And so I began searching obituaries online mm. where people mm. mentioned that their child or spouse or you know, uh, brother or sister had died of opioid overdoses. And I found this young woman, an obituary for her, and it was written by Charla. And I, it, it's mentioned that she wow. was an actress, and right. I contacted her and said, would you be interested in appearing in this film? She said, well, send me the script. And then she wrote back after reading it, she goes, I must be in this film. Oh, wow. It was uh -huh. just a, a beautiful, you know, a cathartic, you know, reaction mm -hmm. for her to be able to play this role. You know, that wasn't lost on me because when I, when I saw the, the, the photographs on that in her office, and knowing you and, and how detailed you are, I thought these are going to be real people that have died from an overdose. Right. And... Um, you know, it, it was such a beautiful tribute in, in a way to them, but it also makes it real. I mean, it, it's it's just a, a powerful moment there. Um, it's it's a terrific movie. Uh, Stateofgracefilm.com is the website. And what other social media can we find? Well, we are, uh, we have a Facebook for State of Grace yeah. Film and then also an Instagram is State of Grace Film, so... Now, most of the places people are going to find us is on Amazon sure. because that's where all sure. the films are. Sure. Um, and uh, that's where we want people to go because then yeah. they can actually, you know, pay three ninety nine. Yeah. <laughs> a little cheaper than a painting, yeah. is there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, know, you know, the thing is, uh, I, I, I felt that um, this movie was so different I, in some ways than your other, your previous films, but... I, I, I enjoyed it just as much, but I also felt this pang because, you know, th there is addiction that that a lot of people, uh, you know, deal with or know of someone right. or fentanyl, especially fentanyl. Um, you know, there's always some sort of relationship that people have with these characters, with this particular problem and that sort of thing. So it's not something that is so oblique that what is he talking about here? Um, right. it, it touches so many lives in so many different ways. Right. And, you know, we found that with uh, when we've been showing at uh, different film festivals, the number of people that have come and stayed afterwards mm. and just approached us mm. even after the Q&A and said, you know, actually, I am a recovering addict. I've been right. in recovery uh -huh. for 15 years. Or, you know, I lost my, my sister to this. And I was amazed at the number of people who wow. have been touched by this. And yes, you're right, other types of addiction as well. And one thing that I think was really interesting is when Steve actually contacted these people um, whose obituaries you mm. know, had revealed that their loved ones had died of an opioid overdose, he talked to them at length. And Steve and I really learned that going into this, we had one perspective of what an opioid addict would be. 
And we were totally, wow. totally re-educated on that. Uh, so many of these young people, they began with a sports injury. Right. Uh, they fell down some stairs, something that started up a surgery of some sort, and they were given an opioid, and then they were given another prescription, another prescription, and then they were cut off. And I didn't expect that. I didn't. Mm -hmm, I expected, mm -hmm. you know, starting with the uh, gateway drug and, you know, yeah, moving up just yeah. because you're bored. And that really was not the case. So I think your lead actress, I think she could be anyone's daughter, she granddaughter, could. neighbor, friend. Uh, and I think um, that was just, uh, you know, a, a great decision to, to cast her as that because it's she was someone that you could relate to. Oh, she's just so good yeah. and uh, she spent immersed herself in the role so completely mm -hmm. that she said that six months later she was still suffering from the role uh, because wow. she was you know kind of a methody sort of actor and yeah. really just brought it on herself it was it was it's a beautiful performance there's no other way to put it yeah actually right. and sarah did all of her own makeup you know, which is virtually uh, unheard of, but it was important yeah, to her yeah. um, to be able to. Now, we, we did meet with a, a makeup artist to go over exactly how to do some special effects. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but I believe that every time she was doing that makeup, she was literally becoming that person. And let, let, okay, so Steve and I just have the ultimate respect for yeah. for these actors. They are amazing. Yeah. And we are so fortunate in Kansas City to have such a rich um, you know, group of uh, talented actors from which to choose. And, you know, we did have a couple actors from outside the area, but um, we are just so grateful for all that they put in to these productions. Well, and I, I think you're faithful to your research to really kind of flushing, flushing this out and then, you know, producing this because it's not like you had this sort of um, idealized version but you really sort of looked at it, examined, and, and went from there to create this wonderful story. If you could tell us, just um, give us the trailer <laughs> about this movie so people can just sort of, hmm. Well, I would say that basically what we're seeing is um, a young person who has made some bad choices. We've all made bad choices. Sure. And uh, basically, some it's about a family of strangers that come together and walk alongside her to help her try to get over this addiction and get her uh, one-year-old daughter back from state custody and I, I thought it was really interesting what you said about she could be anybody's daughter she could be anybody's and and you'll notice that we did have all of those elements she was somebody's granddaughter she was somebody's yeah. student yeah. She was, yeah. you know, and then she also was that anonymous person that nobody had seen until they saw her. In the case of uh, our uh, bar owner, who basically gave her a break and gave her an absolutely yeah. awesome job when, quite frankly, she had no qualifications whatsoever. So um, it's it's basically walking alongside her, and I won't give anything away, but <laughs> it's, it's truly beautiful. But yet, it's something that any one of us could do. Absolutely, absolutely. You're, we're going to take a real quick break, and then we're going to be back with Mary Settle Pruitt and Stephen Wallace Pruitt in just a bit. Stick around. Hey, I'm Jasmine, the host of Vital Vibrations, one of KKFI's new shows. We will be live on air Tuesdays from noon to 2 p.m. starting January 23rd. Vital Vibrations will play the best of modern reggae, rock, hip-hop, soul, R&B, and everything in between. Tune in to Vital Vibrations' first show, 
Tuesday, January 23rd, and every Tuesday after that from noon to 2 p.m. right here on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. Yes, KKFI listeners, for the first time in over a decade, we're making some significant changes to our programming schedule. Starting the week of January 22nd, we'll be offering up 14 brand new shows while changing the time slots on many others with fresh voices, new content, and even more diversity. Go to KKFI's website to check out our new schedule at www.kkfi.org. And don't forget... Art Speak Radio here on 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. I'm Maria Vasquez-Boyd, and I'm talking with Stephen Wallace-Pruitt and Mary Sell-Pruitt. They are the creative team behind Never Too Late Productions. We're talking about their latest film, State of Grace, which is out on uh, Amazon, right? Yep. And, uh, yes, uh, so the website, uh, you know, go to Amazon.com and or you can Google it, I suppose, right? Mm-hmm. Also, stateofgracefilm.com is the website. Uh, for more information, uh, you want to check that out. You know, at, at break, uh, Caesar, you had a very good question that you, that, you, uh, that you asked of Stephen and Mary. If you want to... I was just asking about uh, when you guys actually filmed it and uh, what the production was like after that fact. So. Well, we we uh, <laughs> we wrote the film over a <clears throat> significant number of years. Um, it was intended to be shot a long time ago, and it was we were trying to make it into something it wasn't, something that wasn't us. We were trying to make a film that uh, was kind of a mystery and a a, a a cops and robbers sort of thing. And eventually, I just got disgusted and said, "This is not who we are." <laughs> mm. And so we threw it aside, made another film instead, and then came back to it. And I decided, let's make a real film, that a Pruitt film. Mm-hmm. And we did. And so we wrote the script, and then uh, we were going to film it, you know, before COVID. But then COVID struck, and there's no way on earth to shoot a film yeah. during COVID because of all the crazy protocols everyone was involved with. So we filmed it in last year, 2022. Uh, actually, two years ago now that we in 2024, <laughs> but uh, summer 2022, and then it's been in editing and uh, everything else after that. So it just was just literally just last week or the week before released on Amazon. So, you know, and, and I, I think one of the things that that uh, people will notice about the film that it's shot here locally so there's some some scenes that are familiar it seems that oh yeah i i know where that where that takes place uh, is it important for you to to film um here in kansas city or was it convenient what was the thought behind that <laughs> well it's important because it's really inexpensive to shoot here yeah, and we get to sleep on our own beds which we really <laughs> like yeah. but in point of fact there's so many amazing locations yeah. here in this area yeah and we found a lot of them uh, in this film. Uh, so you know, we were we had a beautiful house in Brookside that uh, we it was an Airbnb uh-huh. that we uh, were able to you know use for three months. Right. And uh, so that became double duty. Not only is that where our out of town actors lived, but that's also the, the the main set of the film. So. And then there were some more rural scenes. Right. And I mean, with with Kansas City, you can just spend like. 10 minutes outside of Brookside and you'll be, you know, in Independence or, or Blue Springs or further rural, you know, Concordia and all of that. So, I mean, right. here you have a richness of, of 
landscape, uh, diverse landscape, I think, to, to choose. That's yeah. absolutely true. And if I could speak to that real quickly, you know, Steve said we like to sleep in our own beds and it's <laughs> inexpensive, but quite frankly, we love this area. Every yeah. single one of our films has been filmed either in uh, uh, the urban area of Kansas City mm -hmm. proper. In fact, our first mm -hmm. film, Modern Heart, which um, Caesar would probably appreciate because it's in the Crossroads District. Oh, yeah. All about and artists. It's all about artists and it's all about the integrity of art. And, uh, and then, you know, we do a lot of different rural locations. We've been, you know, out into the uh, far, you know, western and then southern parts of um, Missouri and Kansas. So we love this area. We think it is a jewel and that yeah. more filmmakers should be coming to the heart of America. Yeah, I love that. You know, speaking of your other films, if people are interested in taking a look at, say, for instance, The Land or, or any of the uh, these others, The Tree and that, would they find that through your website and then? You know, probably the best way is to go to Amazon. Okay. Put that name in, whatever the name of the title uh -huh. of the film, and then put in Never Too Late Productions. No, or no, no, no. It would just put Pruitt. Pruitt. We'll okay. find it. Right. Pruitt. Yeah. yeah. And and then it'll all of them will come up, and you can you can choose, yeah, and then you can watch them that. all. Well, and and we can't give out any prizes, uh, but you know, that's one way of seeing these films. I I know we've talked, I think, um, about some other films that that you came in studio to, right. to share with us and um, I want to say it, I was really saddened when one of the lead actresses I believe it was the uh, Joyce tree, Pell, yes, right, for the tree. when right. she passed away because she was just wonderful and and that yeah uh, in fact film. we had a role for her in this oh, film but Mary spoke to her literally um, mm. the day before she died oh. and was speaking to her she goes I was picking out her wardrobe she said and then uh, we got a call from her daughter the next day saying that Joyce had just passed. And so I said, well, it put us in a bit of a conundrum because we sure. were absolutely planning on her being in this next sure. film because she was so good in all the others. Well, and she left a great legacy. Oh, I mean, that, that movie is so much fun. And, uh, you know, so, uh, yeah, I want to say, again, stateofgracefilm.com. And... You know, I, I think about this film, I think it's very thought-provoking in that it, it asks questions, it may not deliver answers, but I think it, it begins to start conversations about, you know, addiction and fentanyl and custody and, and all of that, um, the legality right, right. And, and whatnot. Well, as it happens, uh, the primary inspiration for the beginning of the film was the fact that I was, you know, this is inspired, it says right up front, inspired by actual events. And yeah, my birth yeah. and adoption in 1957 mm. tie in exactly to what happens in this film. So it's mm -hmm. a... Uh, it's, it's a part that's really important to me, and uh, we think a lot of people really appreciate it. Well, and I, I also think it offers a glimpse of that, you know, whatever people think about fentanyl and, and addiction and all that, that it can happen anywhere, and it can happen in this very nice neighborhood. It can happen over here, and, and it may be impoverished. It can happen, and it right. happens. It does. You know, I, I think that is a, a very good message that, you know, we all, in some way, it impacts us all. You know, I think what Mary was saying is really important. That, you know, one critic was talking about our film and said, that, you know, addiction films are a dime a dozen. This is not that film. Yeah. This is a film yeah. about 
people helping people. Yeah. And that's exactly what it is. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, as Mary uh, uh, so aptly put it once, it's a film about fentanyl, foster care, and a family of strangers. Yeah. And, and that's literally what it's all about, is changing people's lives one you know, interaction at a yeah. time. Yeah. Well, I hope that you come join me again on your next film. Absolutely. Crickets. Yeah, no, absolutely. What is our next film? Actually, you know, we were uh, slated to shoot it this summer, but we had a a death with one of our primary Mm, investors. So we actually had to put our actors on hold, and we need to regroup. All that to say, if anyone's interested, please contact. (laughs) Right. But then we will be, we will, we do plan on filming that next summer, 2025. 2025. Well, I'm so glad that you joined me today, Mary Settle Pruitt, Stephen Wallace Pruitt. Thank you so much for sharing your wonderful insight and this this movie, State of Grace. Thank you so much for joining us. You'll be back next time with your new film. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very good. Also, I want to thank you. Cesar Bellas. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, next week, as we move into mid-January, January 17th, we have uh, Teresa Dirks, Sue Moreno, and uh, Laura, 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 Laura. I didn't write your name down. Laura. Anyway, we'll be back. Oh, she's going to hate me now. January 17th uh, for Artspeak Radio. Stay tuned now for Jeff Harshbarger, Jeff Jazz Afternoon, 1 to 3. And, uh, yeah, I want to say happy birthday to my beloved little brother. We love you always. And I want to thank everyone for listening today, tuning in. And, um, honey, I'm coming home. Thanks for listening.